you did it. You made it through 2020. You can be a little bit excited about that if you want. I am. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but when I woke up January 1st, 2021, all my problems disappeared. Okay, I'm the only one. Um, no, but seriously, my, my prayer and hope is that 2021 doesn't have the exact same surprises that 2020 has. But in a new year comes new opportunities, new problems, new everything, and yet we have the same God, same faithful God who is the same last year, this year, and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise God for that. Well, at the new year is when everyone starts talking about resolutions and goals, right? In light of 2020, I think everyone's goal should just be to survive with our sanity. That's probably enough of a goal. But I think you can guess what the most common goal or resolution is every single year, really for the same people. What would that be? Always health. It's almost always health. Lose weight. Something along those lines. And uh, that's a really good goal, especially this year with all the binge stress eating and COVID-15 that COVID-19 has brought. And it's a really good goal, actually. I think I should do that. Uh, I could drop a few pounds myself. Apparently, you have to do more than a few push-ups a day, though, to get in shape, which is unfortunate. Um, and I have one major barrier that keeps me from this. I'd like to blame, I can't blame genetics, I can't blame other things. The, the real issue comes to me, and it's my sweet tooth. Because apparently you can't continue to eat junk food and expect to get healthy. I haven't figured that one out yet. No matter how hard you try, you cannot exercise enough to make up for a terrible diet, right? Those of you who are very healthy <laughs> in the room are nodding your heads. <laughs> you know that that's true. Because the reality is you are, you become what you consume. To put it in a more commonly heard phrase, you are what you eat. Now, I hope you know that this morning we are not having a, a, a physical wellness talk. That's not really a sermon. Um, not primarily going to emphasize this morning our physical diet. There are plenty of other people you can go and learn about that and Google that. But you are what you eat, not just in a physical sense with your body, but you are what you eat spiritually as well. You become the things that you consume. So the question this morning is, what is it that you're consuming? Because every single day, all around us, you are consuming messages from friends, from family, in the music you listen to, in the movies and shows that you watch, from influential voices in the news and on social media advertisements and commercials and billboards, all, all of these messages are intended to shape you. They're working to shape your worldview, telling you what to like and dislike, what is acceptable and what's not, presenting a picture of the good life and how to accomplish and achieve that good life. To be human is to be formed, and that's true all the way back starting in Genesis with Adam. It continues throughout every human's life. And what is so crazy to me is that it's happening all the time to us, and we are so unaware that it's happening, especially in today's modern kind of internet digital world where uh, the advertising world is just a booming market. 
It's a huge part of our regular lives. See, North American companies spend about $250 billion annually on advertising. And each time, we, we take in so many messages, we've almost become numb to the high volume. And yet, even if we're numb to their, to their reality, they're still having an effect on us. They're still shaping and forming the way that you see, and you can't get away from it. Author Sky Jatani put this idea, the impact of advertisements on our formation, into a simple image that's on the screen behind me. And when I first saw this image, I was disturbed by it. See, research shows that the average Christian spends two hours in church per month. That's considered full-time regular attendance, two hours. And yet that same individual over that same month is being bombarded by well over 150,000 advertisements. And each one of those advertisements are aimed at shaping you, shaping what you love and what you, dis what you dislike. And if you let that soak in, it's no wonder why we as an American church are looking more and more like our culture and we struggle to stand out as the light of the world in which we have been called and what we have been called to be. Because whether you're aware of it or not, whether you're doing it intentionally or not, you are intaking junk food, you're consuming junk food, and so we shouldn't be surprised that we're not spiritually healthy. See, the world's working really hard to disciple us. And yet, the reality is that so many of us as followers of Christ are very lazy and apathetic about pursuing Christ on our own, where the only time we actually open up Scripture, the only time we're actually intentionally taking in healthy, good food for our soul is on a Sunday morning, two hours a month, where someone else does the work for you, and we become consumers. And consumerism has continued to infiltrate the church, making many of us believe that we're not spiritual enough to do the work of reading our Bibles and understanding it, or teaching, or serving. We'll leave that up to the professionals. And we've turned Christianity, turned following Christ into this spectator sport. And if that's what you've done, there is no wonder why the Christian life is boring to you and lifeless, and why there, there is no joy like it seems to promise, because your version of Christianity is not Christianity. Following Christ is not a spectator sport. It's something you've been called to be an active participant in, which means it has to go beyond a couple hours on a Sunday morning. Two hours a month is not enough. And that's true whether our services are top-notch, amazing, incredible. Whether our sermon series just knocks it out of the park every single week, it's still not enough for you. Imagine if you ate twice a month. You would be starving. You would be starving. It's true of our spiritual lives as well, which is why we, as the followers of Christ, must intentionally fill our hearts and minds with the steady diet of Scripture. See, throughout all the Bible, we find that the imagery of Scripture is, is compared to food for us, the people of God. Jesus, in Deuteronomy chapter, or Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, saying that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 15 Verse 16, the prophet says to the Lord, he says, when, I, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight because I bear your name, Lord. 
But it's not just food that you choke down. I don't know what that is for you, maybe Brussels sprouts or broccoli or something you know is, you're supposed to eat, but you just tolerate it and kind of force it down. That's not how the Bible describes this type of food, Scripture. Psalm 119, which is the largest chapter in the entire Bible, is all devoted to the psalmist just gushing over how much he loves the law and the words of God. They're beautiful. They're amazing. He says in verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So church, the question becomes, what is your spiritual diet? It is having an impact on you. It is forming you. It is shaping you. That's who we are. We are a people who are intentionally shaped by the Word of God, by Scripture. Now, there are, we could spend a million sermons, a million hours talking about all the false messages that we are receiving. We obviously don't have time for that, nor is that the best approach in my mind. Because I'm totally convinced that the best way to identify a fraud is to become so consumed by the real thing, by the truth, that you can identify any deviation from that. Which again is why we have to intentionally place ourselves under the Word of God, submitting to the Spirit's work in our lives. And I think that's the same message that we find behind the passage I want us to look at this morning. If you have your scripture with you, whether it's digital or a hard copy, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be this morning. The Apostle Paul, who has authored the majority of the letters that we find in our New Testament, is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who's a young leader in the church in Ephesus. And in this, which is his second letter to Timothy, he's, one of the main themes you find is he's addressing false teachers and warning Timothy about false teachers. But what's interesting to me is he doesn't go through and list out all of the false teachings that Timothy could go against. But instead, what you find at the climax of the book is one of the most important and well-known passages in Scripture about Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, Because you know those from whom you have heard it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord this morning. See, verse 16 uses a a strange phrase that you may have heard before. It's a really well-known, really important phrase. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed is not a real word. It's basically the word the Apostle Paul makes up by smashing a couple words together. You won't find it anywhere else in the Bible, and you'll only find it a couple other places outside of Scripture after Paul has written. He kind of makes up this word. He basically is saying it's God-breath. It's God's Spirit. Breath and Spirit are the same in Greek, the exact same word. And in doing this, I think Paul is trying to point our minds to a couple of important things about our Bibles. First, if you think about the picture of breath, if you were to take a deep breath and hold it in, and when you exhale, you could, if you paid attention, you could feel how deep your breath comes from. It comes from inside of you, your core. And what Paul is saying is that God's Word, that Scripture, 
Just in the same way that our breath comes from deep inside who we are, that Scripture comes from deep within God. Not from His lungs, but from His heart. Scripture is a revelation of who God is. It's something that shows us what His character is like. It shows us the things that He loves and the things He hates. It reveals what God is like. And my prayer is that that would never stop amazing us. That the God who with a simple word of His mouth breathed into existence and sustains it by that same word all of the universe, the universe that is so large and powerful that we've not found the end of yet, that He uses that same word to speak to you and me, to call us and invite us to know Him and love Him and enjoy Him forever. It's amazing. God, all Scripture is God-breathed. The second thing that God-breath means is that Scripture is not some man-made collection of stories. But this is the very Word of God. He is the author Himself. Second Peter says, uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says, "...that above all you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things, because prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though they were human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what theologians will call the doctrine of inspiration, which means that if God is the author of His Word, by His Spirit, He guided along the human writers who used their own vocabularies, who used their own styles, but wrote only exactly what God intended by His Spirit. And the bottom line of that means that if God has authored it and He has preserved His Word, if it is flawless, the Word of God, then that means that you can trust it. It means you can test it. It means you can dig into it. You can wrestle with it. You can ask it questions. It will, it will withstand any of the questions you ask of it because it's God's Word. It's a revelation of who He is, and He's big enough for all of your questions. He's big enough for all of your challenges. He can handle all of your doubts. So test it. If these things are true, if Scripture is God-breathed, if it's authored by God, preserved by God in order to reveal who He is, then there is a weight to our Bibles. There is, there is importance and significance that transcends any other message that we receive. And I think it's exactly where Paul goes next. Look down at verse 16, if you would. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's useful in our lives. That might be the biggest understatement. <laughs> it's useful. It forms us. It's the ultimate final authority in our lives, meaning that we are, one, we are the people of God who surrender ourselves to what God's Word says. We're shaped by that. He alone has the ability to decide what is good and what is evil, what we are to like and what we are to dislike, what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. It guides every area of our lives, from our money to our sexuality, uh, to our jobs, to our family, how we view our neighbors. Everything is subject to God's Word. You see why this is so important, that we have a steady diet of Scripture in our lives? Because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and uses it to shape the people of God into the image of the Son of God. That's what He does. 
Now, there's a temptation that we all face because we all like to feel comfortable, don't we? We like things that encourage us and lift us up, and we tend to avoid things that are just a little, little tense or disagree with us or are a little challenging to us. I mean, think about uh, our favorite verses. So many of us are drawn to the promises of God, and that's good, and that's right. We love verses like we find in Hebrews that says that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We cling to, 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 to passages like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We memorize them and we, we hang them on our walls and tape them to our mirrors. But how many of us have Jeremiah 17.9 memorized? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Anybody have that on their wall at home? Quite a living room decor, huh? Tape that to your mirror so you see that every morning. Now, I'm not saying we should ignore the promises of God. We rest in those. We trust in those. My point is to say that it's really tempting to just read the parts of Scripture that we like and are familiar with because they encourage us and lift us up. And yes, there's so much of Scripture that does that. Praise God for His grace. And yet there are parts of Scriptures that are just as important, just as authoritative in our lives that will be very uncomfortable for us to read because they will reveal what is really inside of us, and it will be ugly. And God, in His grace and kindness, will reveal to us through His Word, by His Spirit, places where we do not align with Him, where our thinking does not align with Him. And friends, we cannot run away from that. Charles Spurgeon says this, which is just a fascinating quote. He says, If there is any verse that you would like left out of the Bible, that is the verse that ought to stick to you like a blister until you really attend to its teaching. You and I have not been appointed as editors of Scripture where we get to cut out sections we don't like. All of Scripture is God-breathed and useful by God to bring about His work in our lives. And that's the promise that we have is that God's Word, Isaiah 55 says, will go out of His mouth and not return to me empty, God says, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it out. God's Word accomplishes things in our lives. Look at the next verse in 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. It tells us what this goal is, what God is using His Word to do. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. For what end? Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Some other translations, if you're using a different translation, will split those words apart. Thoroughly equipped, it'll split it and make it two things. God's Word is working to make you thorough complete, mature in Christ. If you show me a mature Christian, I'll show you someone who is serious about studying, reading, memorizing, and obeying Scripture. All of it. God's Word is designed to make you mature, complete, and also to equip you for good works, meaning it doesn't end with you. God's work is to, is, is to transform you and shape you and make you a blessing to the world around us. This is one of his primary tools in the hands of his scripture, to, in, in the hands of his spirit, to shape us and make us into the image of Christ, which is what we often call sanctification. And the amazing thing to me about this process that God has promised to bring about 
to completion in the lives of every one of His children is that He invites us into it. And as 2 Corinthians 3 says, as we contemplate God's glory, which is what we have the opportunity to do every time we open Scripture, as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. And it's for all those reasons, the importance of Scripture, the fact that it reveals who God is, the fact that we must be intentional about feeding on the Word of God, and that God uses His Word to transform us into the image of God that I have a challenge for us that Jen talked about earlier. I have a challenge for us as a church, an invitation to feast on the Word of God in 2021 together. Hopefully you were able to watch this past Wednesday's midweek update, and if you were not, uh, you can always visit the Chelton YouTube page uh, to, to view those or any of the previous services or midweek updates that we put out. But for those who missed it, here's the challenge. The challenge we're calling the Bible Project 2021, and the goal is to read through the entire Bible this year. It'll actually be 51 weeks. We're going to be reading from a plan that's been put together by a ministry called the Bible Project. Fantastic ministry. We have used them a number of times, super good podcasts and, and videos that they put out. We're going to be using a Bible reading plan that they've put together. Uh, we've actually put some of those resources on uh, in some of the emails we've sent out. I've actually printed out a number of our reading plans uh, that you can grab on your way out if you're here in person. And the goal is to read a couple of chapters. It has a schedule for us, about three chapters a day plus one psalm every day. And you'll read through the entire Bible this year. Guess what today is? Day number one. It means Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and Psalm 1. I did it this morning. You've got plenty of time. We can do this. We can do this together. Some of you have tried doing this before, and if you have done this, if you have accomplished this goal, you know how rewarding it is to have read through Scripture and to, and to just... Spend that time with the Lord, watching His Spirit reveal things to you about God. You also know that it's really challenging, because it feels like a daunting commitment, doesn't it? It feels huge. And we all know there's parts of the Bible that are really challenging to understand, which is why we've put together a bunch of resources uh, to help you along in that journey. Those resources are available at our website, chelton.org slash Project. Uh, we've also put those in, your, uh, in the last couple of emails, and we'll continue to link to those in our emails. And on the website, you can find, uh, you can download the reading plan, and at different times throughout the year, we're actually going to be posting different articles and videos helping uh, to reflect on what we've been reading and kind of interact with the text. There's also a link on the website to some videos that have been put together by the Pro Bible Project. Super helpful, super engaging. We've used some of the videos before here as a church. Uh, and they're designed to help us understand what we are reading. And the reading plan actually marks out exactly when to watch which video, so it's really helpful. For those of you who would prefer to do it digitally, I find that I can't. I have to do it with a hard copy in front of me. I get too distracted by my phone. But for those of you who can do that, there's an app called Read Scripture. You can download it for Apple or Android that actually consolidates all of those tools together in one place, the video, the Scripture, and the plan, and puts it into one place, and you can download that. 
Uh, we're even finalizing uh, some Bible project kits that you can sign up for, uh, of course, due to uh, some shipping dilemmas. You, uh, you'll have to wait till next week for those. Uh, but you can pick up one of those next week. It'll have some bookmarks together and a journal that you can make some notes as you work through Scripture uh, together. Um, and uh, if you need help, uh, reach out to a friend. If you're not tech savvy and you need some help with this, Call someone who is, and let's help each other uh, get through this and, and set it up and really engage in Scripture this year. We really hope you join us. It's going to be an impactful time in your life, I promise you. Here's the reality, though. You cannot do it by yourself. See, in the same way that Christianity following Christ is not a spectator sport, it's also not a solo sport. It's a community Thing. Reading Scripture, engaging in Scripture is meant to be done in community. So do this with a friend. Call a friend today. Text them. Set up a time each week where you can connect and talk about what God is revealing to you in His Word. Do it with your roommates. Do it as a family. You know what's really interesting is that's the exact way that Timothy came to know Scriptures, isn't it? If you look back at verse 14 and 15, you find Paul says, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned. Interesting thing there, continue, which means if you've done this before, if you've read through the Bible, this isn't a check it off the list thing. This is a call to continue. Because if Scripture reveals an infinite God, then you have never exhausted understanding of an infinite God, which means you will never exhaust His Word either. But he says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. And if you went back into chapter 1, you would find that who did Timothy learn this from? From his mother and his grandmother. From infancy. Parents, we have an incredible responsibility, an incredible privilege to introduce our children to the God of the universe, and we cannot pass on this. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the most influential people in the lives of your children are you, parents. It is important and essential that you have others in their world speaking into their lives, youth leaders, children's workers, pastors, community group members, aunts, uncles, grandparents. You need a team around your kids, but by far, the privilege and responsibility to discipling and influencing your children falls to you, parents. I encourage you, you do not have to have a full-blown plan as to what this might look like. Just do something. Paraphrase if you have to as you work your way through selective topics. I don't expect a, a five-year-old to sit and read through the entire Scripture. That's why there's amazing resources like the Jesus Storybook Bible for their age-appropriate level. Or as they get older, get an action Bible. Find a way to feed your children Scripture from a young age. Read it together at the dinner table or before bed. But let's step into this privilege and this responsibility with humility and confidence because God is way more invested in the lives of our children than we are. Praise God for that. And maybe you don't have kids or don't have kids at home. If you don't have any children, guess what? Neither did the Apostle Paul. Neither did Jesus, and that didn't stop them from having many, many spiritual children. So regardless of what generation you are in right now, 
we have the privilege of declaring the works and character of God to the next generation as revealed in Scripture. Let's not pass on that. As we move towards a time of communion, must also give us a word of caution. Because it's all too easy for us to read Scripture for a reason that is different than what God intended. It's easy and tempting to read Scripture as a way to just check it off our list rather than an opportunity to interact with God Himself. Or we read it to just gain information about God rather than seeing it as a moment to grow in intimacy with Him, to be formed by Him, or to feel like we're a better Christian or to impress people or to think that in some way we're impressing God because we spend a few minutes reading a book each day. Did you see what verse 15 says? The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Scriptures are necessary. They are important. But they reveal what is ultimate. And that is the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Scripture is not so much a list of things that you should do, although there are commands in it. But it is first and foremost a story of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. They're able to make you wise unto salvation, but they are not salvation in and of themselves. In John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who knew their Bibles really, really well. In fact, they had them memorized. And He says to them, you study Scriptures diligently because you think that you have eternal life in them. But these are the very Scriptures that testify about Me. But you refuse to come to Me for life. Salvation is not found in reading the Bible. It's not found in modeling your life after someone in the Bible, even Jesus Himself. Scripture is not found in obeying all of the moral commands of the Bible. But salvation is found in trusting the one whom Scripture is all about. See, Scripture is able to make you wise unto salvation by presenting Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead to be received by faith, to be restored to God. Jesus is the hero of every story you read. He's the fulfillment of every promise you, you hear. He's the culmination of the entire book, and every single page whispers His name. Salvation is found in Christ alone, because if your relationship with God is dependent on your pursuit of God, even in something as simple as reading the Bible every day, you know you and I are in a heap of trouble, right? But God in His grace has pursued us. And Jesus, the very Word of God, took on flesh and became human, was born as a baby and lived a perfect life in full submission to the Word and the will of God. He did what you and I could never do Jesus was so in tune with God and His Word that every moment of weakness and temptation that He experienced, what came out of His mouth was Scripture. If you were to cut Jesus, He would bleed His Bible. And then Jesus, having lived a perfect life, comes to you and me and offers us Himself. And He says in John 6, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. But whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. 
For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And communion is a reminder that God is so serious about forming you into the image of his son that he held nothing back from himself but loved you unto death. And the mystery of the gospel is that by simple childlike faith in Jesus, you and I can be fully, freely, and forever forgiven. And through Christ's death, we can receive life. And as we eat this bread together, and as we drink this cup together, in the same way that the bread and the juice becomes a part of who we are, so Christ has promised by faith in Him that He will come and be one with us, never to leave us again. So if you are what you eat, and if you become what you consume, then let's eat. If you peel back the top layer to reveal the bread, if you are a follower of Christ, I want to invite you to take these elements together, to feast on Christ together. Because the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's feast together on Christ, the Word of God. As you gently peel back the top layer of the cup, in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This is the cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together and remember what Jesus has done for us. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And on that day when Christ appears, you and I will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. And until that day, let's lean into and let's join God in his work to form us as we feast on the Word of God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of the cross, for the power of the, the empty tomb. When you cried out, Jesus, it is finished on the cross, you meant all of our salvation, including the guaranteed end that one day we will stand before you completely, totally formed into the image of, of Jesus Christ. Praise you for that. Father, there are so many messages right now that are vying for our attention, so many things fighting to shape us and form us. We want to be a people that are, that are formed and shaped by your word. May we, as we journey through this year, reading your word, may it be a light to our, uh, to our path. May it lead us to you. May we know you and love you, Jesus, more and more as we spend time with you. Father, reveal to us who you are, and shape us for your amazing, beautiful name we pray. Amen.